Hey everyone. Ever wonder what would have happened if Greta Thunberg had been Singaporean? Well, wonder no more. On 13th March 2020, Jamin, an 18-year-old student, held Singapore's first climate strike when she skipped school to protest in front of the offices of ExxonMobil. On 22nd March, 20-year-old Min held up a placard in front of Tuapayo Community Club which said, Singapore is better than oil. In Singapore, under the Public Order Act, pretty much all political activity in public is illegal unless you get a permit, which is extremely difficult to obtain, to say the least. I spoke to these two young Singaporeans by video conference on 7 April 2020. My apologies for any issues in sound quality. We're all living the lockdown lifestyle. Okay, Jamin and Min, thank you for joining us on New Narrative's Political Agenda. So, I think the first question that I have for the two of you are really, who are you? Tell us about yourself. Um, Jamin, I know you're uh, a student. You skipped school to hold Singapore's first climate strike. That was on Friday the 13th of March in front of um, ExxonMobil, uh, or rather their offices at, at Harbourfront uh, Tower 1. But I think uh, we're very curious about who you are and um, why you chose to do this. Um, yeah, I will just start by saying that definitely I am a student and it is a bad time to do this, but I will stand by it because basically what had motivated me to start this thing was um, <clears throat> basically being pissed at the budget in February. Or oh, at least the very first budget this year. And then it was kind of like, a, oh, yes, we acknowledge climate change is happening, but like, what are we going to do, I guess? Um, invest in Teslas. And I was like, screw that, because I just like, why? Yeah, and then, so I was like, what is the truly one, or at least why is a way to like kind of shift the focus from like, hey, we should just off our lights and like live more greenly to like getting the, the government to divest from fossil fuels because there's some really intriguing statistics, which is like <laughs> Jurong Island exists and like Exxon itself has the seventh, the world's seventh largest oil refinery in Jurong Island. So it's not, just, not, it's not to say that like we are so small, we can erase ourselves from the emissions picture. Like, we just contribute, like, disproportionately because, like, our population is so small and yet we contribute, like, 0.11%, which is a lot. So it was just kind of, like, an immense frustration because I was like, why won't you acknowledge it? So I felt that, like, I would follow the Global Fridays for Future movement because what other way can you get something, this issue, into the public consciousness and... Also, like, a huge part of this was, you know, I have to give credit to Climate Rally because this is possible because of Climate Rally. But at the same time, like, it, it was kind of like a, like, thousands of people showed up for Climate Rally. And th this shows that, like, there's quite a few people who acknowledge that something must be done about fossil fuels. But yet, you can just scream and shout your guts out in Holim and then you can just, like, the government can just, like, mute you and just ignore you. So I felt that, like, if there was just one way to do it, that was to, like, you know, strike truth. So... I did it on, yeah, three, three Fridays ago. It was kind of like the last day of school before the March holidays, so I was like, eh, I'm not missing anything. There's a cliche in Singapore about how people who choose to do this sort of thing are just somehow bad, recalcitrant, you know. I, and whereas it's a very normal thing in other countries to stand up and protest, right? It is one of a range of options of how you communicate with the government. So we, we've been sort of normalized into believing that protest is wrong, even though it is a perfectly valid and normal way of communicating with your government. And we don't tend to see 
students choosing to protest in this way. So is there anything about your past that, you know, or yourself, what, what made you choose this way of doing it rather than, say, writing a stern letter to your MP or trying to do a letter writing campaign or volunteering with uh, an NGO? Why protest, I guess, is my question. Why you and why protest? The truth is that, like, like I've always been painfully aware about the fact that a lot of the civil rights that we have both, like, across the world is because of activists who put their life their lives and bodies on the line, like then case Mandela and Okay and they were all like, yeah, I don't know, they did like illegal shit or Ill- illegal stuff, sorry. And then just because it is not viewed favor- favorably or like over here doesn't mean that it's not legitimate. And I feel that like I've never been one to like I'll just sit back and try and work within the status quo because I don't know, like I've just felt that like it's just not enough in a sense. Like how many letters can I write? Before so for action to truly be taken because this is not exactly an issue that you can just wait a couple of years, you know. I mean, you could wait a couple of years, but the time frame is just not ideal and like, it's just kind of like, the time crunch is crazy and like, yeah, I figured out because of the time crunch, like just doing the protest would like really get a lot of people talking about it because I could wait until I graduate from university, but like how many more years is that? And like, if I can do something now, then why not? So yeah. Cool. Uh, Min, let's turn to you. You held up a placard in front of Tuapayo Community Club saying Singapore is better than oil. This was 22nd March, I believe. Could you tell us a bit about yourself and how you chose to do this? Right, so I think, I think I'm going to get a lot of criticism for this. I certainly have already. Um, so I'm a naturalized citizen. I've been here for about... 12 years since 2008 so i went to psle i grew up here and then i went to raffles institution and then raffles junior college so about your your question about activism and protest and the way that it's viewed as for troublemakers only i would say that number one protests have traditionally been conducted by students that are relatively upper middle class to upper class around there definitely very privileged i mean in my southeast asian history syllabus we had to cover the history of protests in southeast asia and most of it came from universities so in that time university students people who are sort of considered privileged in those kinds of societies they do organize protests And yeah, I think personally, um, yes, I would think I'm pretty privileged in that sense. And my family upbringing, maybe, maybe it did have to do with that. So like I said before, I'm Vietnamese and about two generations back during my grandfather's generation, there was the war of America, you know, the Vietnam war and people know that as the war that was ended by protesters, right? And half my grandfather's generation was basically wiped out in that war. So if you if you go to the graves in of our family, about half the males in that generation, at least for my grand like my grandfather's bloodline, they basically just died somewhere in the sixties. So to me, protesting 
And the fact that it was American protesters who are who are considered like radicals and tree-hugging hippies and were sort of the minority in their society, the fact that they used their privilege to support a cause and bring an end to an injustice, even though it was sort of out, like pushing the legal boundary and it caught them a lot of flack. To me, that's what protesting is. I respect it. It's a way of using your privilege to bring forward an issue that's important in society. And personally, I do have a history of activism, even before Fridays for Future. So I did a bit of educational activism with some some other student-led groups, um, SG Exam. If you know about that, it's the largest student community in Singapore. And then there's, I was also a part of Singapore Climate Rally when I founded Friday for Future. So yeah, that is my history, I guess. Uh, cool, thank you. So I guess the the the, the question is uh, that a lot of people will automatically ask, um, continuing on this topic of protests, is what could a solo protest possibly achieve, um, especially in the context of Singapore, where protesting is so severely discouraged that it is technically illegal for one person to you know assemble an illegal assembly is one person an illegal uh, procession is one person and people have literally gone to jail um, for for being solo protesters before so why um, what what did you hope to achieve from these protests um at first it was just kind of like a bring this issue to the public consciousness because I did like the whole, you know, fallout of, kind of like, I would phrase it as fallout on social media or like a bunch of like boomers making fun of me. It just shows that people, the whole like premise of it does engage people in a sense because boomers tend to be like, oh, you know, like, why don't you just finish your school and then like, and then, um, whereas there's a lot of like support coming from the young people who are like, oh man, I would like, I would never do this, but like, I support you. So, and, like, there's a bunch of comments on Bin's post, the second one, which was, like, I've never really thought about this issue and thank you so much for bringing it to my consciousness because big oil is not something that, like, we think about on the regular, but it is its presence has been here for, like, hundreds of years. So, yeah, I figured that the whole speech thing, because the, illegal, the illegality of it, I guess, kind of just will lead people to discuss it, in a sense. That's what I was hoping to go for, and I guess it's kind of succeeded because... It did kind of spread a bit. There's a lot of like media reporting on it, so. For me, I would, I mean, the way I saw it was just, I saw it as sort of an obligation, like a moral obligation, because I am, again, privileged, and I come from a country that's considered extremely advanced in a lot of ways, you know, education, um, social well-being, even, even the way we've handled a crisis such as the coronavirus. So... To see that and to see the way that Singapore calls itself a green city while knowingly setting climate goals that are like less ambitious than a lot of countries that we kind of consider poorer, I, I just didn't, like, I just couldn't reconcile that, honestly. So that's, so that's, I guess, a policy level. But on a personal level, what prompted me to do it was, number one, even even assuming that I get charged with like 
a fine or like even even a jail term. And I my future career prospects are hurt because of that. I think that's honestly, it doesn't mean anything for two reasons. Number one, I am expecting people and telling them that they should change the economy. They should call for change. They should change the way they consume things. They should restructure the economy. I am not only asking Singapore as a country to do this. I'm asking people who will have less resources to cope with it, with it, people who are like living paycheck to paycheck and like sort of the sacrifices I'll be making really aren't that much. They can't really be compared to what I'm asking people to do. And number two, ultimately, the challenges that I face in doing this, it's it can't compare to the impact that people who are affected by climate change are currently facing. So people like climate refugees, people who were recently affected by the Australian wildfires, they lost their homes and they can't make a living. They're struggling to like even put food on the table. So yeah, I really just saw it as a moral obligation. Okay, we talked earlier about how the budget had a lot of um, money to um, mitigate the impact of climate change, but didn't address the uh, actual root causes, right? Um, including our massive um, oil refining and production. So what would you like the, the Singapore government to do? And um, what kind of changes would you like to see? Um, I think for now, the bar is literally like on the floor because they're doing absolutely nothing to mitigate it. So like, first and, first and foremost, acknowledging that like, there is a climate crisis and we have to do something to stop it instead of just being like, oh, we're just going to build walls along the coast or something. And so, yeah, step one, acknowledging it and then step two, kind of committing to like the, like the emission goals that like other countries are setting. Like South Korea recently committed to like zero by 2050, which like if you compare the circumstances are quite similar. So I guess if South Korea can do it, then why not us? And then kind of like the, so the, so first the acknowledgement and like the commitment and then kind of like, you don't have to have all the solutions now, you can just kind of have like a rough plan. So that's just kind of like the three things because you can't fix the economy overnight. So just kind of like slowly building towards that will be like a great thing, I feel. Carbon neutral by 2050. That's the goal that South Korea has set. That's the goal that a lot of other developed countries have agreed to. Singapore, which is again, supposed to be this really adaptable really forward-looking country, it's not doing this. It is knowingly not doing this. And the, the argument is that, oh, we have, we have a lot to lose, right? We lose out on economic growth, but so do all these other countries. And these other countries still agree to it. So I would say that either we stop calling ourselves like a global leader, at least in this regard, and acknowledge that our goals are behind and maybe then move towards fixing the problem because the first thing to do with a crisis is to acknowledge it and it is happening it is happening because you know pm lee announced recently that there's a hundred billion dollar climate change mitigation fund so acknowledging it acknowledging that what we're doing is not enough and that we need to do more yeah that's really it and holding ourselves to standards that we as a country that is first world and keeps calling ourselves you know the best in the world at everything that country should already have done this. Thanks. I think that's a very powerful point. 
Now, speaking of leadership, I was actually uh, I actually wanted to ask you two more about the logistics of organizing and protesting. And here, I'd like to start with you, Min, because I understand you helped uh, found Fridays for Future SG. Could you maybe talk a bit more about that? Because I think it'd be interesting to people who actually have no idea in Singapore how to uh, organize themselves to create political change. And I think they'd be very interested in what you've done and how you've uh, gone about it. Oh, oh boy. Okay, I'm going to incriminate myself a lot. All right, um, let's go. <laughs> so as far as organizing goes, I have done a, I would say, more than average amount of research on student activism, the history of student activism overseas within the Asian region and Singapore as well. And okay, there's this book which I read in the library. It's called Student Activism in Asia. It basically has a few chapters on student activism in different countries. So one funny thing is China and Hong Kong, they each get their own chapters. So there's one for China, there's one for Hong Kong. And there's not only no chapter for Singapore, for Singapore, there's just one line. Like there's just one line that says, in semi-authoritarian Singapore, students have been relatively acquiescent, which is to say there is absolutely like not that much history of student activism in Singapore. And this is, this is, qu this is quite important because in other countries, students have a concept that student activism is a thing. Like they acknowledge it as, as something that's, you know, normal and that they can participate in. So... When I talk to my friends from other countries, I would hear about things like student strikes, uh, student protests, student movements, and they talk about it like it's nothing, like it's just a completely normal thing. And what happens is over time, you have this culture, you have this like cultural understanding, people just know how to do it. You can just ask a friend to do it and they will say, yeah, sure, why not? Whereas here, the problem is, I mean, like problem depending on your view, is that there's none of this institutional knowledge anymore. The last, I think there's a scholarly consensus that student activism in Singapore died in like the 70s or something, 1974, if I remember correctly. So what I had to do was um, just ask what activists in other countries did. Right, so Friday for Future International, I mean, that was the first one I was exposed to. Um, Friday for Future International, the thing is, they are also all students who are only doing this for the first time, most of them. So everything they do is like, you can access it on social media because that, like, that's how they just get things done. If you do like more than 15 minutes of Googling, you can probably find some resources. You can find out what kind of posts they made. You can find out what kind of impact it had. You can track like the headline, how the headline responds to it. You can like, what I, what I and Jamin did, what we did was also we just message Friday for Future leaders from other countries and they just tell us exactly what they did, how they did it. There's other climate activists, organizations as well. Extinction Rebellion. Well, Extinction Rebellion is a bit different. Um, Extinction Rebellion, there's this thing called the Citizens Climate Lobby in the US. They have like an extensive library of what to do as an activist, what causes, 
like how to build an organization from the ground up. I mean, you can even look beyond climate activism. You can look at, there's a lot of resources of, like available in the library even that tells, that is basically a step-by-step manual of activism. So there's this book I'm reading now, which is called Be the Change by Gina Martin. She is a feminist, I mean, I, okay, she's a feminist activist who detailed her process as of like one or two years ago. She, it's an entire book. So yeah, my point is, it's the internet. There's a lot of resources out there if you want to look. The main, I think the main barrier for Singaporeans is we sort of assume that things that happen in other countries won't happen here. So we sort of like self-censor. Like the moment someone says, you know, protests or students or anything to do with that, we just sort of assume that because it hasn't happened, it can't happen here. And overcoming that is actually the main hurdle. And and then you have to, you know, um, convince other people to overcome their own hurdle. Yeah. Yeah, or it's kind of like, a, oh, yes, I support you, but I'll just see first. And then it's like, no, but we need your solidarity and we need your help. And then they're like, oh, yes, but I'll just see first. And I'm like, fine. So how about you, Jamin? I mean, um, how did you... Uh, wait, did, did you two uh, know each other before the 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 uh, the protest that you did? Did you coordinate, or was this separate actions? Um. Okay. So I started the thing first, and then Vin contacted me that very evening, and then we met up the next day, and then it was just kind of like, oh, this is like what legends are made of. No, I'm joking, but yeah. So essentially, we didn't know each other beforehand, but we had a couple of mutual friends. But that's just kind of irrelevant. And then it was because of the post, the first post that I made, and then he was like. This is something. And then, yeah. And your post, you tagged uh, Fridays for Future SG, I guess. And that's how he saw it? Yeah, so that post kind of gained traction because a bunch of people shared it. And then a bunch of people were like, hey, let's support you. And then it did not go viral because it's hard to go viral, like truly viral on Instagram because like, you can't really tell who shares your story and everything. And then like, I guess there were other people sharing my post too. So it kind of spread from there, but I wasn't really aware of how far it spread. And then, until I set up the Fridays for Future Instagram, which had to go on private, unfortunately. Actually, I have no idea how you saw the post, Min. Yeah, how do you see the post? I mean... Oh, um... It was... Like, I'm in a bunch of weird group chats. Like, there's this, there's this vegan group chat I'm in. There's this, like, just random climate stuff group chats. And yours was linked in one of them. So, oh... And I also agree with what you said just now. A lot of people just sort of, when I ask them whether they want to do this kind of thing, like not just not just commit to like you know standing in public with a sign, but like just posting from their house, they'll they'll say that I'll I'll think about it, right? And then what what's happened before is a couple of days later, when the story develops, like you know my story, for example, it developed a bit more people started like sympathizing more and then they the people who initially said yes they who initially said no they said yes so it's very unpredictable who will join most people will not join so if you do i love you you're awesome yeah i think uh, of course there are a lot of studies which show that this non-violent protests um you know the visually we see massive numbers of people coming out in the streets, but they're never more than a small, very small percentage 
um, of the population, 1%, 2%, 3%. But studies have shown that actually all you need is something like um, 3% of the population or something like that, some very small number to come out. Actually, I actually know this story. Like, I actually know this um, statistic. So the statistic is at the point where 3.5% of the population has gone out into the streets, that is theoretically when success is basically inevitable. But again, 3.5% is actually quite a lot in Singapore. Say I'm a Singaporean who is very frustrated with uh, a certain policy and let's just say climate change because this really is an issue that um, is going to deeply, deeply affect, damage our future, right? How would they get involved? How should they get involved? What, what kind of, what's the first step? The first step's always the hardest. So I'd say what's, you know, I'd ask you from your own experience, what, what do you think is, uh, is a good first step for a Singaporean who's listening to this right now and wants to help but is reluctant, is afraid, is nervous, you know, is aware that they don't know anything? What should they do? Okay, uh, so like about the not knowing anything part, that's his whole, I don't know what Karl Marx said, and he was like, oh, you don't actually have to know all of this because the working class is too busy being oppressed, like what the hell. So it's like, you don't have to know everything. Like I will acknowledge that like I don't, I know like close to zero in this whole world of knowledge. So I guess we all try our best. I guess just try to make yourself like aware of issues, especially like narratives that are just not from the government because a lot of that is bullshit. Like, if you truly want to like, you know, or take like the civil disobedience route, you have to be aware of the consequences. And if you choose to do it, you have to be aware of the consequences. And because a lot of like civil disobedience is done in spite of the consequences, like because of the consequences in a sense. So, and yeah, so you have to make that personal choice for yourself. Just think about it for like a long time. And then it might actually really push me over the edge to do it is because I did remember that like people like MLK and he... There's a reason why he managed to get make that change, and it's because he went the civil disobedience route. And I feel that that's just like something really powerful in that. So, yes, so that's kind of like my take on it. Yeah, I agree with Jamin. First of all, if you actually like look at what activism is on the day to day and how a lot of them got started, a lot of them basically said that they didn't, yeah, they didn't know anything at first. Um, they didn't consider, like, there's this idea that activists are, like, an, ex- an especially, I don't know, vir- virtuous group of people who need to have special characteristics. You know, they need to be popular or, like, just brave. But a lot of activists in real life, they didn't start out that way. They came from very diverse backgrounds. They learned along the way they learned from the people around them they made mistakes for sure the ones you don't hear about are the ones that made mistakes and they get a lot of hate or at least they think that they'll get a lot of hate and then they don't do it so my point is yeah the sense that you can't do anything that you don't know what to do that is completely normal i i think that is very that is the normalest thing for an activist to do and for what you can do to overcome that I will take an example that I saw from a fitness forum. So basically, um, there was someone who asked, what can I do to, you know, consistently go to the gym? Because I see all these people who go to the gym and they're really buff and they go like every day. And I'm not them because I'm lazy and I can't get off the couch. 
and what one of them said was, oh, um, you should just go to the gym every day and just every day or like every other day, just sit there, like just sit there and do nothing and maybe get yourself to do something. So the idea behind this is you just put yourself in that position and you just get used to it. And then you naturally just over time, it becomes a routine for you. And then you don't become scared of it anymore. Like going to the gym no longer becomes this thing that only fit people do. Just like how being an activist no longer becomes this thing that, you know, only radicals or like the most virtuous people do. And over time you train more, you learn more, um, you improve yourself and then one day you become this person that you didn't think you could be. So yeah, that, that's just for going to the gym. And being an activist is pretty much the same way. No one really starts out as like the finished product that everyone sees. Um, they become an activist over time. And yeah, there, there's actually this one study that says the difference between Activists who do like high risk activism, so stuff that people see like, you know, civil disobedience, protesting versus the people who are more like casual. And when I say casual, I don't mean like they do less. What they do is quite important, but like, you know, lower risk. There's actually no ideological difference between them. What gets them to commit is whether their friends are also participating in high risk activism. So it's just immersing yourself in that world and eventually you just get used to it and you become an activist i guess um i just want to say that like despite the whole police thing i am not done and yeah i mean currently with the whole like investigation thing it's just moving on us so it's just kind of like what are you gonna do for now definitely we're not gonna stop but it's just a question of what and currently what we're trying to do is we're trying to get people to like show support <clears throat> online because you're all like circuit breaking yeah if you would like to show support you could just take a picture of a sign at home with a caption and then tag us on instagram yeah hashtag fridays number four future sg yeah and then so we're just trying to get like more people like aware of this and trying to show support and give, getting the message out that like people are willing to like even take that one photo at home to show support because that's, I think, a major step from just being like, oh, yes, I support you, but I'll just do, you know? So, yeah, that's kind of what we're focusing on right now. Mm, I would emphasize again, no one, not even Greta Thunberg thought she was going to get a lot of support. So the story of Greta Thunberg is initially she was in a group of climate, like this climate activist group that like no one knows. I can't remember the name of, honestly. And she proposed the idea of doing a climate protest and people within that group said, no, that would never work. Like people would never pick it up. So the group said no. And then she just went out and did it on her own in front of like Swedish parliament. By the way, don't actually do this in Singapore. That is completely illegal. Um, but she went and did it. And then all this happened. And I don't think anyone could have reasonably predicted it. And this story is repeated across the entire world, um, across the whole of Europe and then the, and then North America, a lot of Asia and now here. So every country thinks that it's special, like, you know, 
in Singapore, you say that people won't support it and that it can't happen here. But last year, last year during the the digital strike, people said that there will never be a physical demonstration. And then there was Singapore Climate Rally. And then people said there will never be a school strike. And then there was school strike. People said there would never be another one. And they're just going to keep saying it till the end of time. Like we could, we could be straight up like drowning under seawater and people would still say, well, at least, um, it'll never like we, we have taller buildings or something <laughs> like they're just going to say that eternally. And the thing is, no one really knows you just have to, there's comes a point when you just sort of have to put yourself out there. Again, I'm saying like legally, not like illegally. So yeah, it maybe maybe it helps to have other people do it to show that it can happen. It can happen here, but ultimately the decision is yours. And of course, I would say that you should make it because if you don't make a decision in life, um, life makes life decides for you. That's what I like to say. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I would love. To use this chance to okay, I'm just gonna add on to what she said. Basically, like boomers will continue booming, and that the kind of like pragmatism that Singaporeans have, like once you really get past it, it's just really irritating because they're like, oh, why would you do this? Why won't you just focus on your school, go to university, and then all of that, blah blah blah. And it's like that's the whole point, isn't it? Like, like I'm just trying to get something done before I get jaded, and then like just I don't know immigrate or something, right? Yeah, so it was just like. I don't know, like, I'm doing this because I, like, kind of, like, in a really weird way feel for my country, even though, like, sometimes I'm like, oh, I hate this country, but, like, I actually don't, and I would love to see, like, this kind of change happening in Singapore because I feel that, like, uh, propagandist, propagandistic kind of way, like, oh, I want to defend my country kind of thing also. Yeah, and also I'd like to add on to the privilege part, like, a large part of why I did it also, like, was the privilege because, like, my educational background basically was Nyan Primary, Nyan was high school institution, so... Yeah, so kind of, like, the whole... Mm, upper middle class Chinese girl kind of thing so I was like might as well just play around that for a bit and I think that if you have like the capacity and the privilege to be able to do this and you really care for it really, then I think that you should go for it because you gotta do something with the privilege like imagine just being like an upper middle class student like I, I, like, I, I would not be able to do it like I feel that like I've been trying to search for like the meaning of my life and I'm like if I just like start with that at school I would like, like live a life of regret or something so yeah do something for privilege, if you can. So with that, I think thank you very much uh, for your time. Thank you very much for joining me on this podcast. Um, and thank you very much for your courage and for doing what you do and trying to help make Singapore better. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> and that was Jamin and Min young protesters fighting on all our behalves for a better future in Singapore. I hope you'll join them in making a sign, taking a photo from the comfort of your living room, and putting that online with hashtag Fridays, number four, future SG, and hashtag climate strike SG, and also tag at Fridays, number four, future SG. Our thanks to both of them for joining me on Political Agenda. Be sure to tune in to Southeast Asia Dispatches, our fortnightly podcast series bringing you interviews from around Southeast Asia next weekend. And check out our website at newnarrative.com for more stories from Southeast Asia. If you enjoy what we're doing, please do support our work by becoming a member of New Narrative at newnarrative.com. 
Membership started just 52 US dollars a year. That's just one US dollar a week. This is PJ Thumb wishing all our listeners a great week ahead. Stay safe, everyone. Wash your hands. Stay at home.